Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Welcome back to the FCN podcast. This is the part two of our holiday special, Ask Us Anything. Emily, take it away with the next question. All right, next question. And this is my question combined with somebody else's question because I was like, oh, there's a theme. Let's make a theme. Okay. How do you... Hmm. Now I have to think about how to ask this. I should have written it down. How do you pitch your services to a company? whether it's like looking at partnership, mm. whether it's saying like, so the, the other person's question was, if I'm teaching, you know, workshops for free in this case, in this person's case, like to realtors trying to prospect to get clients. And in my case, it's, I found a company I reached out, we're going to have a meeting. So we're going to see if there's some sort of collaboration aspect. So you're working with an outside group. How do you decide when to charge? Whether how do you decide whether to charge, what to charge, when to charge? How do you approach that? That's a lot of questions in one. Yeah. Too bad. All right. Deal with it. So the the question that I the question that I have in response to that is, let's say that you went and you pitched it to them, right? You and you gave a very short, concise pitch of, hey, I can come in and do this. And they looked you dead in the eye, no smile on their face whatsoever, and said, what the hell do we need you for? They can go talk to their bank. How would you respond to that? Right. And I, I know that that seems like a really aggressive response. But it's really important that you have that you think about it from the perspective of you have an aggressive person on the other side that really doesn't want it, right? How are you going to convince that person? And it's not going to be platitudes talking about the importance of budgeting and other things like that, right? You really, really need to have a have a strong pitch, a strong reason, right? I have a client not a financial planning client, a business coaching client. And she does DEI work. So she does DEI work with really, really large organizations and really, really prominent political figures. And just in case people don't know, DEI is diversity. Diversity, inclusion, equity, and inclusion. Equity. What's the E? What's the E? I know the DEI. And and really she's a culture, she's a culture consultant, but you know, she does a lot of DEI work. And the, you know, her business was strong, it was good, it was, and it was growing, you know, had lots of really high profile clients, but it, it blew up in 2020, right? In the wake of George Floyd and, and the Black Lives Matter movement and all this other stuff. 
And the reason why was because she no longer had to answer that aggressive response. Right. And it's not that she was getting that aggressive response, but you're not going to get a business to say yes to anything unless they can see a business case for it. And so that's your first step is you need to build a business case. What is the benefit to them? And it can't be touchy feely kumbaya stuff. Right. The businesses that care about that touchy feely kumbaya stuff are businesses that have very large wellness budgets. They're companies like, Facebook and Google and Tesla and Ford and Walmart and that type of stuff. And guess what? They're not looking at people listening to this podcast for who they're going to bring in for that, right? They're going to bring in big brand name people that have, you know, re- are really well known and show up on Oprah and so on and so forth. Hmm. So you have to have, you have to build a business case. You know, how is this going to help them? There was a follow-up question of when do we charge? And how do you, yeah, and how do you decide? Yeah. Yeah. That's more of a, your business case question, right? So you said something about real estate agents. Oftentimes, you know, businesses that are along the lines of real estate agents, where it is a collection of independent people that are come together under a real estate office, they actually get paid to have people show up, right? Chambers of Commerce is, well, oftentimes it'll be a fee to speak at the Chamber of Commerce, right? If you're not a member of the Chamber. And so there's, you know, that that's one end of the spectrum. And that may be worthwhile for your business, right? To, to get in front of, of key people. The other end of the spectrum is you giving it away for free, right? The middle of the spectrum is you giving it away for free. And the other end of the spectrum is you charging. And as we move more and more toward you charging, the business case has to get stronger and stronger. And it can't just be about, hey, these good things are going to happen. Because now you're in the position of, well, I could pay you or I could pay someone else. And what are the credentials? What, you know, who are you going to be compared against? Right. And that's a really, really big differentiator. I do a lot of my nonprofit has a financial wellness thing that's involved with it. Right. And we don't do it unless the company's paying. Right. But, you know, it's very common where I will have be having conversations with a company and then they'll say, well, the bank can we'll do it for free. The local bank will do it for free. And my response to that is always that that sounds great. Right. I've given you my, the brochure that says this is the stuff that's covered and the types of things that are talked about, so on and so forth. If your bank will do it for free, by all means, feel free to have your bank do it. Right. After you have it, if you realize that there are things that the bank didn't cover that you wanted covered, yeah, we can talk again. Okay. And I don't push any further than that. Now, sometimes I'll say, oh, well, wait, wait, no, we really, we still want you to do it. Right. Oftentimes they'll have the bank do it and they'll realize, oh, wow, this was very superficial. It's a, you're right. And so they'll come back. And other times I don't hear from them again. Right. And so part of this is also you have to figure out what's right for your business and be comfortable with what's going to come as a result of the choices that you made. Right. For me, I'm not going to do anything for free, right? Even through my nonprofit. 
And so as a result, yeah, there's lots of opportunities that disappear and that's fine. And just as a very quick add on to that, it's, I think getting clear on, is this like a more of a marketing attempt or is this actually like you going after revenue generating work? Because, mm-hmm. you know, giving a talk to a group of real estate agents, that could be a very informative, like going to a Keller Williams office, for example, and saying, you know, I'm going to talk to 25 of their employees about how to manage the variable income that comes with, you know, the high highs and the low lows. And that could be something that is specifically paid or, yeah, it could be more of like a, a lunch and learn that is a little bit more a higher level that talks more and that isn't as specific and prescriptive. And that may be more of like a, a marketing opportunity to try to get one-on-one business with them. So there are different ways. I, I think it's helpful also to think about what bucket you're trying to put this particular relationship in or, or this thing that you're doing so that you have kind of an easier way of figuring out whether it should be paid, whether it's more marketing or something else. Yeah. My, the wellness stuff through my nonprofit, there's no marketing in it, right? If people will ask me during the seminars, you know, what are, what is my fees or, you know, how can I work with you or other things? And my response to that is always, you know, I want to focus the question and answer on, on questions that people have about their finances. You know, we can talk about that later, but I don't want to go over that during the seminar. Right. So that's part of the reason why I won't do it unless I'm getting paid is because it is not a marketing thing. I actively don't market <laughs> during yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, that's very key. All right. Next question is from Emily. Aha, switching yes. it up. All right. Switching it up. Okay. So this one is is pretty specific to Garrett and the clients that he works mm-hmm. with, but it's, it's as, as Emily pointed out to me in the chat here, it's totally relevant to probably every coach out there right now, just with the market the way it is. Okay, so here's a question. How do you help clients evaluate job offers? Do you use some kind of online tool or do you have something that you've created that you use to help them evaluate them? That oh, I stumped him. One, I'm like, I don't have any clients right now because I'm not working. That was going to be my easy out. <laughs> no, that's not going to work. Okay, okay, I'm going to rephrase it. How have you helped clients evaluate? (laughs) What's interesting, because also I work almost predominantly with people who are self-employed. So they aren't really evaluating job offers. Gosh, I'm trying to think of Josh. I may need to have someone else take this while I rack my my brain. I know you thought you you thought you could get something good out of me. Well, you didn't (laughs) you didn't stump multiple guys yet. We'll we'll see if. If Josh has anything, and then I'll Josh, wrap up. Josh always says yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, so this is definitely something that I do with clients. Job offers is a big thing that we'll we'll look at. Even my business owner clients have spouses that have jobs, right? So as we look at job offers, it's there's a lot of factors that go into that, and it's one of the things that I would say you want to be very careful of is just doing it. I like the fact that the person asked about software, right? One of the things you want to be really careful about is just doing it off the top of your head, right? So one is, you know, there's comparing salaries, but there's also comparing benefits. And benefits are not as simple as what are the, what are the, do they have healthcare, right? You also have to look at what healthcare options are there. 
between the two. With those healthcare options, is there a high deductible health plan that allows for an HSA? If there's a high deductible health plan that allows for an HSA, is there enough sufficient funds in their budget in order to pay for the healthcare costs out of pocket and put money into the and put money into the HSA? And that budget is not based on their current budget. It is based on projected budgets based on the two job offers, the income of those two job offers, all of the benefits that are associated with it that may offset some of their current spending and changes in their lifestyle and or cost of living based on where those job offers are. Adding on to that are the the non-standard benefits, right? where you can start to get into trouble where, well, this company has a better healthcare plan, but this one has stock options. Okay. Now you're advising on investments that would cause problems and liability. And I was going to ask about that with HSA is how far can you go with, for those of us who are not registered investment advisors, don't have government permission to talk about said things. How far can you go with helping them think through HSA? Do you just present it as it's also important to look at HSA options. You know, you, I assume you can help them look at, do you have enough income to cover, you know, a $10,000 deductible or $5,000 or whatever? Yeah. But how far past that? Is it simply, at, you know, sending this one does offer an HSA, which can I be would... a retirement vehicle. Here are three links that you can read more. Go talk to your investment person yeah. or... So I would say, yeah, that's definitely what you want to do is go talk to your investment person. And and let me explain why. And it's not even about the liability, although, yes, that's part of it. (laughs) Right. It's so I love HSAs. They are amazing vehicles. Most of the time when clients ask me about it, the end result is we're not going to use the HSA. We're not going to go down that path. And the reason why is because with an HSA. From a tax perspective, there is zero difference between an HSA and an FSA for this year. Zero difference. The tax efficiency of the HSA doesn't come into play until the money's been simmering in it for 10 years. So then what we have to look at is we have to look at the tax efficient after-tax growth of the investment options within the HSA combined with projections of what their future costs are going to look like to make sure that they're not going to be putting the money in this year and then taking it out in two years, right? So it is a very, very complicated thing that involves a lot of tax projections and a lot of investment analysis because mathematically, if you put the money into an HSA and then take it out in the same year or even the next year, there is no tax efficiency benefit for the HSA versus the FSA. Right. So, so that, that's it has both the tax and the investment potential pitfalls. It's because the HSA has the advantage of a tax deduction now, the money grows tax free, and it's tax free when you take it out. But just from a very simple standpoint, if you put $1,000 in, you get a tax deduction now, same thing with FSA. If you take it out a year later, the investments would have to be savings accounts, 
And so therefore you're going to earn 0.5%. So you earned $5 on that. No, 50 cents on that thousand dollars. So you saved, you got a 50 cent tax deduction for putting it in the FSA versus the HSA, right? So yeah, that's, that's the reason it's just the nature of, of the tax, the, how the tax benefits actually progress over time, right? There, there's no progression with, with an HSA if you're taking the money out. So, so too long, didn't read. It's pretty complicated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't help clients with this, but make sure that you are very, very con- understanding of where your boundaries should be mm-hmm. of being able to say, okay, here are the things that I can talk to you about, right? In comparing these two. However, the, there are these other factors you're going to need to talk to other people right? In order to fully compare them. And, you know, I go back to doctors as examples all the time, but your doctor does this for you all the time. So don't feel like this is a diminishment of the value that you bring to clients, right? Just the knowledge that they should go talk to someone about particular things is valuable in and of itself. (laughs) Yeah. And in that example, it's like, okay, if do you feel like you aren't that confident around comparing health insurance costs, you know, there are people who you can refer out to who do that. I also know in like California, gosh, when I was buying on the open exchange, it was like high deductible plans were even more expensive than some of the silver plans, which made zero sense. And so just, yeah, saying, okay, letting them know what they should look out for. And then saying, here are the people to talk to, just echoing Josh, that is value right there. And also understand that if it's something that you really don't feel that confident in, or you don't do very often feeling comfortable saying like, this just isn't something that I do because it doesn't come up very much with me. It only happens sporadically, but here's someone who can help you with it. That may be a better route than trying to do it, you know, but not necessarily having a process for it and then doing it, building the plane as you fly it and giving potentially bad or incomplete support. Yeah, I I did it for my husband when he was looking at moving companies and we did it like the current, his current job versus his new job. And just listing everything out was a huge step for us. So just helping them organize the data is a great first step before referring them out even of like, hey, let's just look at what's the cost of living here versus cost of living there. You know, what are the added benefits? And for him getting loss of medical insurance, he's a pilot. That was huge for him. That wasn't offered at his last company. So that alone was kind of like a plus, 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 like you kind of just made the other one just not even an option. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, but listing it out can be really helpful too. Yeah. And to reinforce or add on to what Emily said, the, the, there's a lot of value in just being able to say, these are the things that I can do for you. Here's let's, let's talk about those things. This is an incomplete analysis. We know it's an incomplete analysis. Here are the areas that are outside of my field. And if you want to get more, more information on those, right, these are the things that you need to consider as you seek other advice, right? Just giving them that is a huge, huge value. And if they then do choose to go talk to their investment advisor, whatever, being able to have that spreadsheet, not I'm making motions like I'm physically taking it somewhere, being able to email that spreadsheet to the investment person and say, hey, here's what I'm looking at. Can you talk a little bit more about HSA? That's going to be very helpful probably to anybody else that they're working with because it's already all laid out. 
they still will probably want to verify things, but at least it's there, at least it's clear. Now serving number 43. We've got a question from the comments. This one's specifically for Garrett. How do I market myself as a disembodied voice coach? Well, first, you generally try to get people to believe that you are or are somewhat like God. It oftentimes helps because people have a particular image of God. So I think certainty is helpful in your voice. Sometimes I go a little bit lower just because in the animal kingdom, as well as with humans, a deeper voice is more trusted. I don't really understand why, but there's something with frequencies. So I found that generally helpful. I think a picture that makes you look more attractive than you are. I'm definitely like a solid five, but I try to find pictures generally photoshopped that make me look more attractive because other people and myself, we're pretty superficial at the end of the day. Let me see what else. Gosh. Do you want to know who submitted the so, question? So let's, that might actually be helpful. Question is from Jason Sand then. Jason. Oh my God. Having a beard, having a beard helps and you're already on your way. Maybe, I mean, depending if you've shaved it off or not since we've last talked. He, uh, he also said he has a God complex. Does that count? <laughs> what I to bring this back to something that's valuable for other people, other than the jokes between everyone. I was gonna try to go for at least three minutes and then yeah. you know, get down to one viewer. The, the the reality though is some of the things that Garrett said are actually good, really good advice. <laughs> right. Realizing that speaking with certainty in your voice, right, is you know, there's a big difference between I think I can help you and I think I can help you. Right. Or even like certainty around like, I can't help you in this person. Right. Or that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I know someone who can. And then you become trustworthy for knowing your boundaries. Yeah. But I got to know, Josh, the statistics, though. He, he said that the deeper voice, is there statistics on that? Yeah. There's actually are. And it's, know. there are some theories around why that is. And part of that is, Deeper voice is associated in mammals with higher testosterone. Testosterone is generally correlated with the alpha male within pack animals. And so therefore the deeper voice is generally seen as, you know, right, providing safety, right? Because that's what the alpha provides to the rest of the pack. So evolutionarily, right, there's some, there's some reason behind that. But you don't necessarily need to have a deeper voice, right? You need, it doesn't mean you have to fake your voice like Theranos. But does know? this apply to all genders? Because I had a deeper voice and I was wondering I just, if maybe, you know. I just Googled it. Yeah. <laughs> also, you, you can change this about yourself. So if you're self-conscious about a high-pitched voice, apparently Margaret Thatcher took voice coaching to drop her, to deepen the pitch of her voice, dropping, quote, an astonishing 60 hertz. Yeah. Now, uh, I may say that that's not necessarily the best use of your time. I would probably agree with that. There may be I some would, things. And so here's what I would say that is a good use of your time, though, <laughs> is and not top of your priority list, but when you've got a little bit of free time, go to a local community college and take a speech class where they will talk to you about intonation. They will talk to you about e even improv classes. Right. Anything where the class includes things of how to use your voice to deliver things will give you a lot of good insight into definitely not the first thing you should check off on your list, but, you know, something to add to the list when you've got a little bit of free time. I'm remembering my high school classes. speech teacher. Yeah, my high school speech teacher getting honest about glottal stops and 
how to avoid that and move past that and yeah. that kind of thing. All right. Garrett, you've had some singing classes, haven't you? Sure have. Yeah. 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 We had to. I know. I know it was there. And I guess if I'm, <laughs> we're just throwing our hat in the rings with other ideas. Mm -hmm. Breathing is really helpful when you talk, like taking deep breaths. Oftentimes I will find myself shallow breathing, which gets me to talk faster and then kind of go blah, blah, and use my mouth before my brain has, has come up with ideas. And so this breathing deeply, this helps in client meetings too. Mm -hmm. just to slow it down yeah so that's another helpful thing that, that can also help build in silence and help prevent you from jumping in to yeah. answer you know you ask the client a question they don't respond immediately so you're just going to keep going ask the question and then take that breath give yeah. that and ray, give that ray question said in the, the face yeah and ray ray said in the chat he uses his voice to slow down sessions right and it helps clients Right. So there, there's there's a lot to be said for using that to your advantage. Well, thank you, Jason, for that very relevant question from this disembodied voice. <laughs> do we want to do one more question? Let's, yeah, let's let's knock out one more. All right. One more. We're gonna do one more. I was gonna say, I think Ray Ray is actually female. Yes. Oh, Rachel. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. Ooh, let's go a little more philosophical. Is marketing simply crafting a message in a way that is compelling in the eyes of consumers? Oh, <laughs> got to take a deep breath. Yeah, you notice I paused there. I didn't just uh -huh. jump right on it. <laughs> and if you want me to repeat that one more time, I can do so. The only thing I'm going to uh, say is I thought I knew what marketing was. And then I talked to Joshua Escalante Troche <laughs> and it was more like, what isn't marketing? And that's going to be my addition to this conversation and, and maybe a lead into what Josh has to say. Yeah. So it, what you said, what the, the question that was asked, what I would say is that is a component of marketing, right? And it's, it's important right? But it's not what marketing is, right? Marketing is a very, very complex thing. And we, we describe, so I describe marketing when I, when I teach classes as an ecosystem, right? In that there are lots of different factors that come into play, into play. They work with each other in order to accomplish goals what the question alluded to, right? Writing things in a way that is relatable and relevant to the experience of the, of the user is definitely an important part of it, but it's not the entirety of it. To, to, dive, to give an example that's probably an easier example to think about, right? Is, you know, with a campaign. So advertising campaigns, a lot of people tend to think of them as here's a bunch of ads that all have the same tagline. Or I create an ad, I'm going to put them in all these different places. Right? The way that I describe an advertising campaign is think of it more like a, an episodic TV series. Right? Each individual ad has its own story. 
And so that, that's what an ad is, is an episode of a TV show. Then you have the entire season where all of the episodes, all of the ads come together to tell a larger story. And that's the campaign. Now, we add to this that that larger story is not being told just through a single medium because you have tons of different mediums that are incorporated in the advertising campaign. And each medium has its own advantages and disadvantages for what parts of the story or aspects of the story it can best tell. And so all of these things come together in order to do that. And the story that's being told takes the customer ideally along their buying journey. And that's the simplest thing that I can explain of one component of what marketing is without doing a semester long lectures. Is that a whole semester's worth of class? Yeah. One thing I'll jump in to say is also marketing isn't just for prospective clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A helpful thing Josh helped you know, made me aware of is you know, marketing is also, or you practice elements of marketing with how you treat your existing clients. And the language that you use with them in sessions, outside of sessions, the way in like all communication is marketing, internal to existing clients, outward to prospective clients or outward to existing clients. And so thinking it in that way, like, oh, how is the continuity across, you know, the way I'm communicating with prospects when they become clients is the messaging and the journey and the way that kind of I'm presenting my business to them consistent with what I was telling them as prospects and, and, or is there any gap in expectation? Do things shift? So that was a really helpful way for me just to expand my view of marketing and think of it more as like, you know, Josh uses the word ecosystem. Yeah. So maybe like ecosystem in the way that it encompasses, not just the prospective clients, which is how I had a traditionally thought of marketing, but also with internal clients or existing clients and how that type of marketing and, and really focusing on their experience. And that's partly why I hired the consultant for Dubsado to make it a better, more consistent experience and improve my communication could then improve like the referrals that I got and the way that people viewed the value that I provided and things like that. Yeah. My bachelor's degree is in marketing. My MBA is in marketing. And looking back, I graduated with that MBA knowing very little about marketing. And it's not because the MBA was bad. It's that there's just so much that even all of that education just gave a, a foundation for it. It's complex. <laughs> so. Very helpful. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. 
If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.